0: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another CS591 SEC. Um, we're pleased to have you join us, and our speaker today is somebody that I've known and worked with, oh, what, about two decades, Stu? Some like that. Yeah. Um, Stu is a, is a principal um, engineer at MITRE. So Stu has been at the forefront of many of these areas in security and privacy uh, for decades. Um, He's also been very active in the area of how technology impacts society and the public. And in particular, one of the areas of interest is in privacy, where he has led a number of efforts working in areas of privacy uh, risk management, privacy engineering, privacy enhancing technologies. Some of you may know MITRE as a place that originated uh, organizational concepts such as CVEs and the ATT&CK framework uh, to help understand about cybersecurity problems. Stu is approaching this from the standpoint of privacy, which is increasingly gaining in public awareness and is a major driver of cybersecurity concerns about AI and other areas. So this is extremely timely. And rather than take any more time, let me tell you, there's not a better person who could be talking about this than Dr. Stu Shapiro. And please take it away.
1: Thank you, Spaff. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to present. So uh, um, this talk is um, a funnel talk. I'm, I'm going to start general and, and, and get progressively uh, narrower. So uh, first, some stage setting. Um, Anytime you're doing risk assessment, and and this can be pretty much any kind of risk assessment, uh, uh, security risk assessment, safety risk assessment, privacy risk assessment, there are basically two things involved. There's a risk assessment methodology, and that methodology is leveraging a risk model. The risk model is what tells you what is and isn't a risk and how worried you should be about those things that are risks. Um, whenever you're doing risk assessment, there there's a risk model somewhere in there. There has to be, because if there isn't, um, you're, you're basically doing an arbitrary assessment. You may as well be throwing darts at a dartboard. And when you're doing risk modeling, basically what you're trying to do is construct this cuboid. It's a cuboid because it isn't necessarily strictly a cube. Um, you know, uh, a- a- as the general um, uh, saying goes, threats exploit vulnerabilities that result in adverse consequences, and so there's an axis or a dimension for each of those, and so every one of the cells in that cube represents an alignment between a particular threat, a particular vulnerability, and a particular consequence. The risk assessment is going to tell you which of those alignments you actually need to worry about. Uh, And and typically, there are going to be a lot of them that you don't need to worry about because for one reason or or another, uh, they, they don't align. In the context of your specific system, or in the context of your environment, and so on. Now, um, interestingly enough, um, although you know I, I, I've just referred to risk modeling, the fact of the matter is each of these dimensions can be its own modeling activity. So you can, and and we do uh, develop uh, consequence models. We can develop vulnerability models, and indeed we can develop threat models. We can do threat modeling. And in privacy, we've actually, at this point, we've actually got a fair number of of kind of, um, if you will, canned consequence models. And I'm going to actually bring up one in particular uh, in in a few minutes. Um, We've got a few things for, privacy vulnerability modeling. Um, Historically, we have had very little in the way of privacy threat modeling capability. We're starting to see a few more things lately, but they tend to focus on modeling uh, adversaries, on on modeling threat actors, uh, and and less so on modeling attacks. But before I get to 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 that, um, I want to draw some important distinctions between privacy and cybersecurity, um, which clearly are related, uh, but they are distinct things. And let me me speak to that in terms of risk. So, you know, here you see um, definitions of cybersecurity risk and privacy risk. Uh, According to the National Institute of Standards and Technology, the cybersecurity definition, you know, probably most of us are well aware of, you know, basically boils down to the loss of of CIA, confidentiality, integrity, and or availability. Uh, Privacy risks, those are according to NIST associated with privacy events arising from data processing. That is admittedly not a particularly informative definition, but we'll run with it for our purposes here today. The important thing I wanna call attention to is that intersection between the two. Those are confidentiality failures that involve personal information. And when we were developing Panoptic, we, act, we made a conscious decision to uh, exclude. Those kinds of things from the scope of our model. Um, you know, confidentiality events concerning personal information, think data breaches, right? And as we all know, there are lots and lots of data breaches. But the fact of the matter is that the vast majority of data breaches are the result of security failures, uh, compromised security controls. And as a result, uh, cybersecurity threat modeling actually can address those fairly well. And so, for that reason, we decided to rule those kinds of events out of scope. So, what we're focusing on, what I'm going to be focusing on here, uh, is basically that Pac Man shape uh, at, at the right when, when you remove all of the cybersecurity risk bubble. Now, if you're talking about um, threats um well there there are some important distinctions there between cybersecurity and privacy so when we think about cybersecurity threats we're typically thinking about a malicious adversary uh you know some uh, other who is doing stuff uh doing stuff to compromise security controls doing stuff uh to um uh, effect uh adverse consequences And all that can be true of privacy as well. You you can have uh, malicious uh, others who are trying to do something uh, to compromise privacy, but privacy is different in that uh, it's broader than that. Uh, Because in privacy, threats can arise from inactions as well as actions. Think about a failure to obtain consent for the collection or use of personal information, for example. Um, Privacy threats can certainly be malicious, but they can also be benign. The the privacy threat might be uh, a side effect of uh, a system or an actor trying to do something else. The, 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 The objective isn't to compromise privacy per se, but nevertheless, privacy is being compromised as sort of collateral damage. And then finally, um, while certain threat actors can certainly be these others uh, with respect to uh, privacy, um, it's also the case that uh, a threat actor in privacy can be the system itself, right, you know, the, you know a system which, which is doing something which compromises privacy, you know, and again, You know, not necessarily because that's the purpose of the system, but one way or another, privacy is being compromised. And therefore, the system itself uh, is actually the threat actor. So, in all those ways, you know, when when we think about privacy threats, we, we have to broaden our thinking beyond what's typically the case for cybersecurity. All right. So, let me get into privacy threat modeling, per se. And let me start with a general definition of threat modeling. Uh, This is uh, one which I think is generally accepted. And I've underlined attack taxonomies here because that is what Panoptic is. Uh, Panoptic is a privacy threat taxonomy, um, you know, much in the same way that MITRE attack. Yes, I need to get a plugin for miter attack, in much the same way that MITRE attack is a cybersecurity uh, attack taxonomy. As it turns out, threat modeling is actually good in and of itself for any number of things. Earlier I was talking about the threat modeling dimension of of a larger risk model, but doing threat modeling can get you uh, a number of other benefits as well, can help you do gap analysis, uh, allow you to um, make prioritization decisions, uh, do red teaming or facilitate red teaming, uh, track, um, uh, a, a specific adversary's set of uh, techniques, and it can even help you better evaluate uh, new technologies. So there, there's a lot to be said for uh, for threat modeling. Well, as I said, uh, Panoptic is an attack taxonomy, and so let me talk more specifically about privacy attacks. And this is our definition of a
0: privacy attack.
1: attack. Actions or inactions, right, remember our actions, um, that cause a perceived privacy harm. And uh, I'll emphasize the perceived there, because um, you, from, from our perspective, you know, if an attack um, or if, you know, the, the quintessential reasonable person Uh, would perceive themselves to have been subjected to a privacy harm as the result of an attack, then that is in fact a privacy attack. Now, what constitutes a privacy harm? Well, those are things which are defined by uh, something called Soloff's taxonomy, and I'll get to that in just a second. Uh, But there are also things that do not solely involve cybersecurity violations. Now, you know, we we say solely there because it's certainly possible that you could have a cybersecurity violation that is a precursor to something that is a privacy attack. You know, there's a data breach involving personal information and then the personal information gets used, uh, you know, to commit identity theft. Or, or uh, what have you. So, you know, the, the cybersecurity attack morphs, if you will, into a privacy attack. But a privacy attack is something which does not solely involve cybersecurity violations. All right. So, let me talk m- for a moment about Solov's taxonomy. Um, the, the, the full name here is Solov's taxonomy of privacy harms or privacy problems. So uh, this was developed uh, quite a few years ago at this point by Dan Solov, who is a uh, very well-known um, uh, privacy researcher, a law professor at GWU. And uh, what he did was he developed this from the from the bottom up. rather than start with some overarching definition of privacy and privacy harms, uh, he surveyed the privacy case law and basically just tried to zero in on the things that people seem to consider privacy problems or privacy harms. And then he set about uh, developing a categorization for the things that he observed. And what you see here in front of you is that categorization. There are 16 of these things uh, which fall into uh, four larger buckets. and. Uh, the these are this is our basis, uh, in develop or has been our basis in developing MITRE Panoptic for what does or doesn't constitute a privacy harm. There are other, and, and so it's a consequence model, it's a privacy consequence model. There are others, but uh, this is well known, it's well regarded. Um, people will frequently reference it, and so uh, we decide to go with this as the basis for um, uh, establishing whether or not. Uh, there actually had had been a privacy harm. All right, so let me give a few concrete examples of privacy attacks. Um, Washington state, like a lot of states, and maybe all the states, I'm not sure, um, will often uh, provide uh, de-identified data sets of hospital records. Um, These are not, uh, I don't think, kind of full-blown um, uh, health records, uh, but um, you know, uh, the, the, there'll be kind of uh, basic um, uh, records regarding um, hospital admittances and discharges and diagnoses and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they de-identify them and make them available to, well, pretty much anybody who wants to pay 50 bucks or whatever it was that this thing costs. So a researcher uh, paid for a copy of one of these data sets and set about trying to re-identify it and uh, discovered that um, they could plausibly uh, re-identify nearly half the records in this data set. Lenovo Superfish is a really interesting one. Uh, Lenovo basically man in the middle of their own laptops. And so they had this mechanism in there, this software uh, which basically intercepted uh, the web traffic uh, from uh, the browsers on the laptop. And it, uh, based on this traffic, it developed profiles and it used those profiles as the basis for serving uh, pop-up ads, which the users did not, uh, you know, uh, consent to. All right, finally, probably the mother of all privacy attacks, uh, at least in recent uh, memory, Cambridge Analytica. Um, a uh, personality survey uh, w- was used. To develop um, psychographic uh, profiles of people, and those profiles were were were, um, were used as the basis for uh, for creating models, which could then be used uh, for purposes of political manipulation. All right. <clears throat> now, the thing that all of these have in common, aside from the fact that they're privacy attacks, is the fact that Nowhere in any of these was there actually a security failure, right? arguably, security um, uh, security failures played no role in any of these. These were all purely privacy attacks, not security attacks. All right. So that brings me to Panoptic. And you've probably been wondering, what the heck does Panoptic stand for? Does it stand for anything? Well, here you can see what it stands for, the Pattern in Action Nomenclature of Privacy Threats in Context. And it's at this point that I will note that developing Panoptic has been very much a a team effort. Um, You know, I'm the one here today speaking to you, uh, but uh, Panoptic is the product of a lot of hard work by um, a lot of people uh, other than myself. Uh, However, I will claim exclusive credit for this. Uh, The Panoptic acronym is my baby. I came up with this and I am not sharing the credit with anybody. as a matter of fact, some of my colleagues would probably maintain that uh, development of the acronym has been my uh, singular contribution to the project. All right. So, how did we develop Panoptic? Um, well, we actually took our inspiration, not terribly surprisingly, from Miter Attack. Miter Attack. Uh, was developed from uh, the bottom up, from the ground up, uh, based on actual a data set of actual uh, empirical security attacks. And so we took the same tack with uh, Panoptic. Panoptic, or at least version one, has been developed uh, on the basis of 154 uh, empirical uh, privacy attacks, non-breach privacy events, Um, following the, uh, um, at least at a high level, uh, the the methodology that that Garfinkel and Theophanos used uh, in their 2018 paper. Um, That data set consists for the most part of FTC and FCC cases. So um, actual cases that have been documented by the, the Federal Trade Commission, by the Federal Communications Commission. And this is the overall structure of Panoptic. Panoptic is actually two taxonomies in one. Um, So there's the actual threat taxonomy, which is over on the right here, and those are the privacy activities. Um, But there's also uh, the privacy contextual domains over here on the left. Um, It's kind of a a, a nostrum nostrum at at this point that uh, privacy is highly contextual, and we certainly agree, and uh, we felt that uh, that context for any given attack really needed to be captured because um, uh, it can be the case that the context uh, plays a fundamental role in um, making something, a privacy attack. That if the con- if the context was different in some respects, you know there are some privacy attacks that might not be considered privacy attacks. And so we basically have the, the, these two uh, uh, taxonomies that actually work together. So here you see the privacy contextual domains and underneath each domain uh, is a set of privacy contextual elements. Uh, In some cases, there are also privacy contextual sub-elements. As far as the domains themselves, uh, I'll I'll just run through those quickly since there aren't very many of them. Uh, So for environment, is the the environment of the attack uh, digital? Well, it typically is, uh, but it can also be physical. And that is also an option, and those are mutually exclusive. You can actually have uh, attacks w- w- in, in which the environment is both um, digital and physical. Distribution um, does the uh, does the attacker uh, distribute uh, personal information? Um, you know, to to anybody, or do they uh, distribute it to one entity, many entities? Basically, all entities' um, interaction has to do with um, how frequently the um, the victim, uh, the subject of the attack, uh, interacts with the attacker or their proxy, and it can also be the um, the victim's proxy as well. and And I'll say more about that when I go through uh, an example in a moment. Engagement has to do with whether the intac- the attack. Specifically, goes after uh, particularly sensitive populations like children, for example. And then finally, of course, we've got data types because you know you've you've got to know what kinds of data uh, you're dealing with in a privacy attack. All right, here you see the privacy activity. So this is actually uh, the 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 threat uh, taxonomy proper, and underneath each privacy activity you have a set of privacy threat actions. And in this case as well, sometimes the threat actions have sub actions associated with them, uh, which are more particular, uh, more specific. Um, uh, You you may be relieved to know that I'm not going to go through each and every one of these privacy activities. Uh, Rather, I'll note that uh, it's kind of a mix of um things which would be recognizable as fair information practice principles so these are kind of the the um uh the foundation of informational privacy uh pretty much uh, around the world uh they, they were first developed the, the first um instance of them uh, was actually developed in the US, but since then, they've been taken up by various entities and, and uh, refined, expanded. Um, those entities include, by the way, the, the OECD, uh, the Organization um, uh, for Economic Cooperation and Development, and also, uh, you know, the the fair Information practice principles are at the core of, of gdpr and the EU. gdpr is, is broader than just uh, fips but but you know the, they're kind of at, at the core um, also uh, making up the privacy activities are various stages of the um, of the uh, information life cycle uh, so you know you can you, see, you can you can see collection there and processing and so on and so forth um, you know, and with respect to FIPS, you can see there's notice, consent, um, uh, and so on and so forth again. And then finally, there's some odds and ends here that we felt that, that we needed to have. So, for example, uh, there's identification uh, because a, a key aspect of a privacy attack, attack can be the act of uh, assigning an identifier or specifically identifying someone. Uh, Likewise, deviations at the very end there, uh, the far right, deviations is is kind of our our one knot to compliance issues. Um, uh, uh, So, for example, you know, if 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 a threat actor has uh, violated their own uh, privacy policy, you know, that would be a a deviation uh, threat action. And just in case you were wondering yes there is stuff in those boxes um you know and and i'm certainly not going to attempt to go through all of these here uh here you see uh the various privacy contextual elements and you can see there's an indexing scheme uh an enumeration scheme uh that that goes along with those um what you're seeing are just the elements Uh, uh, we have not included the sub elements here because you, you would just get too busy. Um, but um, so, um, yeah, this can give you a sense of uh, the contextual elements uh, that are included uh, under all the different contextual domains. And here are the uh, contents of the privacy activities. Here are the contents, I should say, of the privacy threat action boxes. And uh, even more so, we have not included sub-actions here, uh, or you know, or, or it would be uh, even less readable uh, than it already is. So, um, you know, there, there's a fair bit of um, of threat actions here uh, to uh, support uh, the, the mapping of, of a uh, specific attack. Um, when we were uh, initially developing Panoptic. Um, we were actually um, kind of uh, deconstructing the various attack stories and um, trying to look for common elements. And uh, that was kind of how we evolved um, the the initial set of categories. Once we had our initial categories, our initial contextual domains, our initial privacy activities, um, we further developed Panoptic, by simply uh, mapping attacks to the uh, to the taxonomy, and basically, uh, anytime we ran into an issue, anytime we ran into a problem, um, you know, we, we would examine what uh, what exactly was causing the problem, and uh, you know, if need be, we altered the taxonomy in response to that question or problem, and so that's how um, Panoptic has evolved it's become a matter of just repeatedly mapping attack after attack after attack and where we see a need to make adjustments then the uh, taxonomy gets adjusted Uh, in some cases that can involve um, inserting a new um, a a new uh, element or sub element or uh, threat action or or, uh, sub action Uh, in some cases it can be uh, relabeling um, a particular element or action. Um, And in other cases, um, it can be a matter of redefining um, a contextual element or, or um, or a privacy threat action. All right, so let me go through an actual example so you can get a better sense of how this works. So this attack, um, is based on a company called Nomi. And Nomi um, aimed to enable uh, brick-and-mortar retailers to um, understand uh, the, the, the foot traffic within their stores to, to, to track and, and, and uh, analyze the movements of their customers. And uh, they did this by installing Bluetooth sensors, and the sensors picked up um, the Bluetooth signals of their customers' phones and um, hashed the MAC addresses, used those as pseudo-identifiers. You know, they developed, uh, and and then they tracked each individual customer, uh, developed a profile for each of those customers. All of that data went to Nomi. They then developed, uh, they then ag- they then aggregated that information, ran some analytics on it, and sent the reports back to um, to their customers. Um, now there was a website; they had a website where you could where they explained all of this and and you know kind of who their customers were, and I, or at least I assume, and uh, uh, provided an opt out mechanism. They claimed that there were also notices and a way to opt out in the stores. Uh, in fact, there wasn't, there was no notice and there was no opt-out mechanism in the store. Um, and so that's uh, kind of the the, uh, the attack in a nutshell. So how would we go about mapping this in Panoptic? Well, first of all, the environment. Well, it's certainly digital uh, because they're, they're collecting all this data and they're analyzing it and it's moving around. But of course, it's also physical as well because uh, the attack is taking place in a in specific physical locations within these brick and mortar retailers. Uh, they were also capturing um, the uh, the Bluetooth signals from people who were just passing by outside the stores. For distribution, well, you know the 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 analytical analytical results were went back to the the specific uh, establishments. Uh, from which the data was collected, which kind of makes sense, because, you know, why why would would a given retailer uh, be interested in how uh, customers were moving around somebody else's store where they had no idea, you know, uh, what they were selling or what the configuration was, uh, and so on. But uh, it was also one to many because Nomi also provided um, uh, or also informed retailers of when uh, any of their customers were frequenting uh, other locations in the same chain of stores, so we have both one to one and one to many in terms of distribution. In terms of individual and in, in terms of interaction, uh, there was no individual interaction. Right, individuals were un, unaware that any of this was taking place. They were not interacting with the uh, with the threat agent at all their phones were. And so uh, what what we have is discrete inter- discrete proxy interaction. The phones are acting as proxies for the individuals. and um, and and the interactions were discrete because they were only happening when people were frequenting these physical establishments. Uh, there was no engagement. With sensitive populations, they, you know, uh, you know, grabbed everybody's data, uh, you know, without uh, discriminating. And in terms of the data types, well, obviously location, um, behavior, because they're looking at the way people are moving around the stores. And of course, they have this persistent pseudo identifier to enable them uh, to track people around the stores. All right, so. That's the mapping, that's the contextual mapping. Now, how about the actual attack, the privacy activities? All right. well, as I said, um, you know, they had a notice on their website. Uh, they did not have a notice in the stores. Um, and so we have one type of attack actually has things out of sequence. So because there was a notice, But people were unlikely to have gone to the website first to check out the notice uh, before um, actually um, going into the stores. uh, The attack is actually an out-of-sequence notice. Or I should say the threat action is actually an out-of-sequence notice. Um, They claimed that there were going to be notices in the stores. And they also claimed that there were going to be opt-out, uh, there was going to be an opt-out mechanism in the stores, none, neither of which was true. And therefore, uh, you had a, note, a, a misleading or false notice. And by the same token, uh, the consent was also out of sequence. And the consent also, and, and, and there was also no opt-out, uh, you know, in the stores uh, a, as, was, uh, as was promised. And so, um, we have those threat actions for notice and consent. In terms of data collection, well, there's what we call tracking and affording tracking. So when we say affording, you know that's when somebody uh, facilitates. Tracking, somebody makes functionality available, you know, a tracking mechanism, you know, something. They're not actually doing the tracking themselves, but they are, are, are facilitating the tracking. Uh, but in this case, um, you know, they, they were actually uh, doing the tracking, uh, Nomi was, uh, through their, their Bluetooth sensors that, that were uh, uh, installed in these establishments. And they were doing this by sniffing. Uh, which is to say, they were capturing the emanations of these phones, these proxies for individuals, capturing uh, the MAC addresses and using and, and hashing those uh, to use as pseudo identifiers. Um, and that involved uh, assigning an identifier, and uh, in in our uh, lexicon, uh, we consider this to be fingerprinting, uh, taking this. Um, Uh, this piece of data uh, that's um, emanating uh, from the device and and, uh, converting it into a pseudo-identifier. They were doing um, single-source profiling, uh, which is to say there is a single source of data, namely uh, the Bluetooth emanations from the smartphones, um and they were pro- creating profiles of individuals because they were, fi- you know, they, they, they were looking to see how individuals moved around the stores. Um, but they were also doing what we call clustering, uh, because they were aggregating all of this data, uh, taking the individual profiles and aggregating everything together and and uh, creating a profile, you know, in a sense, a profile uh, at an aggregate level for how customers were moving around the stores. And they were also deriving new information, new aggregate information. This is the stuff that they were sending back to the retailers about how their customers moved about their stores. And of course, you know, know, at, at the end of the day, this was all about behavioral analysis. Uh, another aspect of processing. Um, There was no specific uh, threat action involved here under sharing, but nevertheless, data was getting shared. And so, uh, because that was the case here, uh, we we, we highlight the the, uh, privacy activity itself as opposed to a threat action under it. And then finally, we have deviations. They were deviation deviating from their own stated policy uh, regarding uh, notice and consent. So this is what the mapping looks uh, in, in a much prettier form. The, these are this is the contextual mapping. and this is the uh, activity or thread mapping. And so you know that's what a mapped attack looks like in Panoptic. Which leads me to uh, wind up with, so what? Well, what we're trying to do with Panoptic is use it uh, in particular for, for, for three main purposes. We're trying to use it uh, to facilitate comprehensive privacy risk modeling. Remember I said, well, you know, we've got consequence models, we've got a few vulnerability models, we don't have a lot in terms of threat models, and in particular, in terms of uh, uh, threat models that focus on attacks. And so we're trying to facilitate development of holistic privacy risk models. But the fact of the matter is you can use uh, uh, Panoptic as a standalone threat model in order to do both system-specific and environmental threat assessments. And you can also use it for red teaming purposes. You can uh, identify particular attacks or attack patterns and associate those attacks um, with particular adversaries and um, use those as the basis for developing red teaming campaigns. At the end of the day, what we're trying to do really is move the needle. from compliance to risk management to threat-informed privacy defense. In privacy, people very much tend to be compliance-oriented. Um, they want just want to make sure that they're ticking off the check boxes, following the rules. You know. Um, a minority will be trying to do something which is closer to risk management, and an even smaller minority is going to be trying to do pri- threat-informed privacy defense. And with Panoptic, we're we're just trying to move that needle. Uh, we're not, you know, diluting ourselves that, that we're going to. Uh, Uh, change this all overnight uh, or result in wholesale changes. Uh, We're just trying to uh, move things along toward a better state of practice. Uh, In terms of coming attractions, um, right now uh, we have Panoptic 1.0 finished. We are in the middle of mapping a second data set. Our first data set, as I said, was FTC and FCC cases. Our second data set is drawn from New York Times stories and Reddit postings. Uh, In in a few more weeks, we will have completed uh, the data set two mapping, and that's going to produce Panoptic V2. Uh, Once we have that, we're going to do some clustering analysis to try to identify generic attack patterns. You may recall that the P in Panoptic stands for patterns, and so uh, we're we're planning to get to that shortly. We're also starting to develop a navigator tool to help people work with and use Panoptic. And we're trying to stand up a public web page on MITRE's site uh, where we can stick Uh, these various resources uh, and make them freely available uh, to people. Uh, Trying to get this web page approved is proving um, more difficult than any of us ever imagined in our wildest dreams, but we are getting there, and that will hopefully be up in the not-too-distant future, along with either Panoptic V1 or or V2, depending on uh, the time frame. Finally, I I do want to explicitly explicitly acknowledge the rest of the Panoptic team, and in particular, Kara Bloom, who was the original PI on this project. Uh, A few months ago, uh, she left MITRE and and went over to Netflix, Uh, but certainly we would not be where we are uh, with Panoptic if it had not been for her. And uh, with that, I will conclude and uh, happy to take any questions.
0: Thank you, Stu. Um, So what we'll do with questions is if they show up in the Q&A, you can answer them there. So I'll ask one, if people from outside are interested in contributing to this work or giving feedback, uh, what's the best way to do that?
1: Um, Well, as you see, we we do have uh, an email address where where people uh, can contact us regarding Panoptic. We just... um, last month um, held the second workshop on privacy threat modeling as part of soups, the symposium on usable uh, privacy and security. And um, you know, as, as the name suggests, we're, we're hoping uh, to make this an annual event. Uh, so uh, if people want to um, contact us, we, we do have a listserv as well. Uh, the on, on pri- privacy threat modeling listserv, and among other things, uh, if people drop us a line to the Panoptic email address, or you can email me personally, we can stick you on that list and, and you'll um, get a heads up uh, when we're planning the next workshop and soliciting contributions. Uh, we're also actually looking for beta testers. Uh, for Panoptic. And so if, if there's anybody who might be in a position by virtue of uh, somebody they're working for or a project they're, they're part of, um, you know, uh, and, and, and interested in serving as a beta tester, uh, we, we'd love to talk further about that. Um, you know, at, at, you know, once we've got our public web page up, then um, you know, we expect that there will be further opportunities for people. Uh, to um, to contribute. Oh, and I should also say, um, as strange as it may sound, um, uh, uh, kind of um, uh, at the same time as we're doing beta testing, we're actually doing alpha testing too, uh, which sounds kind of weird because you know beta is supposed to come out a- uh, after alpha, but but we are trying to do some alpha testing and just get uh, more general feedback. On, on Panoptic and and um, people's reactions to it, you know, and, and and how likely it is that people might take it up and use it. And so, if you're interested in being an alpha tester, which really just amounts to to be willing willing to um, submit to a, a semi structured interview, uh, then please drop us a line as well.
0: Great. I don't see any Q and A popping up yet. Let me ask another question. Um, do you have any provision possibly for interns next summer who would be interested in this topic?
1: Um, I I possibly um, I say possibly I, I I would love to say absolutely. Uh, I have to temper that because um, uh, unfortunately, uh, funding to continue this work into next year. Is not assured. Um, I, I, I honestly don't know. In fact, what what the probabilities are really uh, that we're going to get continued funding. Um, uh, you know, um, the 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 uh, getting funding for 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 um, uh, for the IR&D, uh, IRD projects within MITRE. Is extremely competitive and the pot of money is never big enough. So, um, you know, um, if, if we do get funding and, and we are continuing um, into next year, then uh, I think we would certainly consider uh, possibly uh, hiring an intern. Uh, but, um, you know, that is contingent on funding, as they say.
0: Right. Well, I'll just mention to the students MITRE is one of the uh, longest running, well, it's a set of FFRDCs. And they do a lot of interesting work in areas related to information processing, cybersecurity and the like. And so um, generally they're limited to US citizens, but if you're interested in interesting employment or, or internships, you should definitely check MITRE out as a possibility. And certainly if you're interested in this work, contact the panoptic at MITRE.org. And we've had three questions pop up in that time. So, can you
1: see them, Stu, or do you want me to read them to yes, you? Yes, yes, I can. So, let me just go down the list. Um, yes, we are planning to add mitigation measures. Um, that would be uh, Panoptic has basically been going, you know, as a research project, it's been going for about two years now, assuming we get funding for, for uh, a third and, and final year. Um, it is our plan to develop uh, mitigations uh for for the attacks these would probably be associated with uh, the attack patterns that result from our clustering analysis so uh yeah the, so the short answer is is, is yes yes we are uh, hoping to do that uh is there a way to get access to the data set uh used um we are planning uh to to make that uh, available um at some point uh, it, i mean basically it's in the form of an excel workbook um, and uh you know uh and and, and we are going to get around to um making that uh data set available along with the mappings i'm not entirely sure whether it's going to have to go through Miner's public release process or not in order to get it out there so yeah the the, the that's uh that's one type of resource we, which we would aim to uh get up on, on our web page once it finally materializes. Um and then finally, what are the key motivations and objectives behind the development? Um well, as I said, um we think this has been a real gap. There, there's been a in terms of privacy risk modeling, we think there, there's been a real gap uh in terms of privacy threat modeling. Um you know, we, we've seen a few things most more recently. Uh, most of those seem to be focusing on modeling threat actors and rather than modeling attacks. Um, you know, the, the the closest thing that we have seen to what we are trying to do is Linden. Um, however, I will say that, um, and, and and hopefully the Linden people won't get too ticked off at me, um, if, if they hear about this um my own personal view is I, I think Linden is actually much more about vulnerability modeling than uh threat modeling uh you know and I'm and, and not that not that there isn't a threat modeling step in there but if you look at kind of the core of Linden which is you know the stuff the that the actual acronym refers to my own view is it actually uh it, it actually makes more sense to think of it as a vulnerability model, privacy vulnerability model, rather than, than a threat model. So uh, in any case, you know, there's this real gap, uh, we think, and, and and we're trying to fill. Um, and certainly we think that ultimately um, panoptic can kind of potentially be used side by side with miter Attack. Um, You know, I I, I want to emphasize that it is not attack for privacy um, uh, because the attack people get really ticked off uh, when they hear people going around saying, yeah, we've developed attack for fill in the blank. Um, but nevertheless, it was inspired by, by miter attack, and you know, I can certainly imagine, uh, somebody taking both in hand if, if they're dealing with personal information and, and using them, um, in conjunction with one another. That's great.
0: Thank you. Not seeing any other questions and we're almost to the end of our time here. Um, let me say thank you. This is uh, a, a really a good step forward. We're, those of us who have been around for a while know that uh, we've talked about privacy and security sort of similarly, or at least in the same phrase for a very long time, although they are different. Uh, as I said earlier, privacy is a motivator for good security and it's hard to have good privacy without good security. So they are tied But the differences in capturing the differences and what you've begun to do here, I think is a really great step forward. So we'll look forward to seeing this evolve and maybe you can visit us on campus sometime in the not too distant future. Um, And- um, I would love to. We'll we'll continue to see how this this, uh, develops. So for all the attendees uh, who've uh, listened in, Thank you for being here, and uh, we will be back next week at the same time with another speaker. Um, so, Stu, have a great evening, and we'll see everybody next week.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you, everybody.
0: Bye-bye.